All right. Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. No? <laughs> Not a happy Valentine's Day? I'm wearing my Valentine's sweater. I just got this last night from my Valentine. So if you have any questions about the sweater, that's where it came from. <laughs> all right. It's good to see you. Hope you all survived Snowmageddon. Okay. That was a tough that was a tough run, wasn't it? We're gonna talk today about it's time to dream again. And if anybody here is dreaming about snow, please cut it out. Because uh, we've had all the snow that we can handle. It's been quite a time. So our, our deal is again that if Arlington County closes their facilities down, then we, we have no place where we, we can't meet here. We have to meet somewhere else. So we were on pins and needles this week just waiting to see. And if they didn't give us the words at the last minute, then we sent that broadcast out that we were meeting. And as you know, we couldn't meet last week because obviously everything was uh, shut down. That put us in quite a quandary about what were we going to do about that. And uh, Ryan had had the suggestion that maybe we uh, just videotape the message and put it up on Internet and everybody could watch from their homes. So we introduced that in our staff meeting. Should we, should we do that? And the immediate response from the entire staff was, you know, you got the snow, you got Super Bowl, you got hot chocolate. Nobody's going to pay any attention to listening to you, John. So they, they, I said it a nice way. They said it much more harsh than that. So uh, that was the staff's way of kind of building me up. Then because this message that I'm doing today is a two-part message, it's part one, it's part two. And so I said, well, maybe we could just we could slide everything we could just slide everything a week back and Derek quickly said well if you do that that means you're sliding me back a week and nobody's going to stand for that people will come in waving the British flag in the service and it's going to create a lot of chaos because people aren't going to put up with waiting to hear Derek for another week so what I've done is I'm crunching two messages into one I'm going to crunch two messages into one and I'm going I'm going I'm not going to be long I'm going to be brief that's my goal there won't be a lot of commentary so it'll just be kind of the points of it and if you're a person that likes to fill in these on the back, you're getting your money's worth today because, as you can see, I mean, I've, like, I've done it up today. I don't know how many there are there, but there's a, there's a whole lot of them that are right there. Okay, so that's it for that. This, let me tell you where this message actually came from. This message was born out of um, these things that we call next steps that we're doing on. They're like spiritual next steps. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you aren't. I won't go into the whole background. But we've been just meeting with people. It started this past summer and just talking to people about how do I take a next step with God. And this was born out of those many ones that I have been a part of. And I don't know how many I've done at this point. I don't know, 40 or 50 next steps at this point of talking to people. And here's what I heard constantly. It's like over and over again. It was, a, it was a recurring theme. It was, you know, I believe God has a plan for my life, that, that there's this dream inside of me. I believe there is, and some people even said this way, I know there is, strong. But usually that's, that, that phrase, wherever, wherever they were on the strength of that phrase, was usually, most times, followed up by this next line. I just wish I knew what it was. Or could you help me kind of narrow that down? I, I don't know how to figure it out. Can you, can you give me some guidance on figuring then that out? And I heard it over and over again. Now, I've heard um, a lot of messages. I've even given some of these messages like this, that, yes, hey, God has a plan for your life. You know, this dream, dream big, and God has this calling, and it's all this, you know, and it's very motivational. I've heard that a lot, and those are good. And like I said, I've, I've done them uh, myself before. Today's going to be totally different from that. Um, it won't necessarily be like a rah-rah. I don't think there's any part, portion of this message that's rah-rah. It's very nuts and bolts. 
It's very practical and down to earth. So how can we narrow it down on this vast array of things that you have opportunities to do in life, and we live in the land of opportunity, right? How do you narrow it down? So what is that plan that God has for your life? And that is my attempt today. So for those of you who are here today, and maybe you're a little frustrated about that, you wish you knew what that was, and you wish it could be narrowed. I'm hoping that when we get done with these next 25 or 30 minutes, that maybe you'll walk out of here feeling a little more hopeful and that the dream will feel a little bit more like a dream and not so much like a frustration. That's the hope. So we're going to do a lot of nuts and bolts. So let's pray, and then let's just dive right into this. Lord, uh, God, help us today. Well, after talking to so many people that I have over the past six months, I've, I've got to believe that this room is filled with people who are wanting that plan that you have for us narrowed down a little bit, to be get a little bit sharper, a little more focused, to grab a hold of it. There are those of us in this room that are excited about the plan. There are those of us here who are confused about the plan. We're at all different places. But God, no matter where we are, Father, I pray today that you would help us to get more clarity about what it is that you want to do in and through our lives. Guide us through your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to use the story of Joseph as kind of a backdrop to talk about this. So we're going to do this guy's, like, whatever he lived, 80 years or whatever. We're going to do his life in less than five minutes. We're talking about Joseph. Joseph, the Genesis Joseph, okay, the son of, of Jacob. All right. So his father was Jacob. Joseph was the 11th. Out of 12 sons, a lot of sons in his, in his family. He was the 11th out of 12, and he was his father's favorite, which did not go over well with his 10 older brothers. Usually the firstborn son, which was Reuben, was be, to be the heir of the entire family, right? But that didn't happen in Joseph's family. Joseph, number 11, became the favorite and became the heir. Now, there was um, like a play done many years ago written called Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anybody familiar with that? Okay, so where did that come from? It came from because it says in the scriptures that his dad gave him this multicolored uh, robe to wear, this coat to wear, see? And so it really wasn't Technicolor. Actually, what it was, it was an all-white full-length robe that he wore, and around the, the ends, the hems of the sleeves and the bottom, there was probably a lot of colors there, and that's where we got this multicolored thing. Now, what did it symbolize? It symbolized, because the dad didn't give it to any other brothers. The other brothers worked in these other kind of coats that, like, were cut off at the knee. They were working people's coats. But Joseph didn't have a working people's coat. He had one that went all the way to the ground, which symbolized that he is the heir of his father's fortune, that he's the number one son. And so all the other sons were very, uh, very upset about this. And then Joseph has this dream. He actually has two dreams. First dream was this. He is out with, the, uh, with, with his brothers, and he sees them as, in his dream as stalks of wheat, and that his brothers come around him and they bow down to him. And then he has this other dream where he's, he's out and there's the sun and there's the moon and there's stars. And it symbolizes his mom, his dad, and his brothers as the stars. And they all kind of bowed down to him. Now, here's what he did. He went and he told his father, which was probably okay. And it, it, whatever dream that you have in your life, you need to remember this. You do need to talk to uh, people about your dreams. I'm talking about the dreams in your dream at night. I'm talking about God's plan, whatever it is that's in your life. Does that make sense? You should talk to people 
about that. You want to leave all the other wacky stuff when you dream at night. Leave that out because it's going to spook people. Don't get into that. All right. But this dream, this thing, you should talk to people. But you, listen to me. You need to be very selective about who you talk to. Joseph, yes, good idea talking to his dad about the dream. Bad idea talking to his brother about the dream. Bad idea. Bad. He goes and tells them, and they get mad at him. And then he becomes, and the reason we're using him today as our backdrop is he becomes known in the scriptures as the dreamer. The dreamer. So his brothers are out shepherding one day. And his dad, because and Joseph's not out there, they're a ways away. Joseph's not out there, right? Because he doesn't work, because he has the full-length robe, right? He's the heir. And his dad says to Joseph, go check on your brothers. Bad idea. Dumb move, dad. So he sends them out, way, way out. He's gone for many days, and he finds them. And they see him coming from a long way. Now, how do they know it was him from a long way off? Anybody? Their coat. The technicolor dream coat is coming. And they see him. What do they say? They say, here comes that dreamer. They say to themselves, let's kill him. Nice brothers. Let's kill him. So they grab him and they throw him down in this cistern. And they throw him down there and he's stuck in there and he's pleading. He's crying, let me out, let me out. No, and he's pleading for his life. The kid's scared. He's about 17 years old at this point. He's scared to death. And then it says in the scriptures that they sit down and they have a meal together. The brothers, while Joseph's down there, you know, screaming for his life, scared to death, scared out of his wits, they sit down and they eat a meal. That just sounds so cool to me. So they're eating, they're hearing him scream, and, and they say, well, they're plotting about how they're going to kill him. And then they see this caravan coming along. They say, you know what, let's not kill him. Like, let's kill him, but let's do it really, really slow. It would have been better if they just killed the guy. So they said, let's, like, make his pain stretch out for the next 60 years. Let's sell him as a slave, make a little bit of money off him. So they sell him as a slave down into Egypt. He goes down into Egypt, and of all things, he gets selected to be a slave for this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar was a very high official. He was, the, like, the chief executioner um, he's like head of the Secret Service, if you want to call that, for Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. So he's selected by Potiphar. And before you know it, he rises in the ranks of all the slaves that Potiphar has. He rises in the ranks, and he becomes in charge of Potiphar's household, which means that he's meeting all kinds of heads of state and all kinds of important people who come to Potiphar's house all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. And it says that day after day after day, she kept saying, hey, come, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And Joseph says this. He says, look, how could I do this? And this is very important. He says, I, how could I? I cannot treat your husband like that. That would be totally disloyal to your husband. He's treated me for well. I would never do that against your husband, and I would never do it against my God. I won't do this. One day, she becomes so forward that she grabs a hold of his coat. He has a history with coats, and he's not wearing the same white one anymore. But he has a real history with coats. Coats have always caused him a problem. And so grabs a hold of the coat, and he runs out and leaves the coat in her hand, and she starts screaming rape. Well, when Potiphar comes home, she says, look, here's his coat. He tried to attack me, and he ran off when he heard somebody coming. I have the coat as proof. Well, he gets thrown in jail. So... He went from the pit, now he became a slave, and now he's in jail, right? And he's got this dream. He's got this dream. Well, it wasn't long that he's in the jail, that all of a sudden he rises up into leadership in the jail, and two guys came into the jail, the chief cupbearer of the king and the chief baker. And these guys, after being there for a little while, they have a dream. Both of them have a dream. So there's a dream and there's a coat theme going on in Joseph's life. So they have these dreams, and, and he, Joseph walks in, into their cell one day. He says, what's wrong? What do you got? He says, well, we both had a dream. We don't know what it means. He interprets the dream. One of them, with the interp I won't get into it, but one of, them had the, one of them had the interpretation of the dream that in three days' time that the king was going to put them back in their position and everything was going to be fine. And the other had a dream that in three days' time, the king was going to cut their head off. 
So he tells them, one guy was happy, one guy wasn't so happy. But it happens just as Joseph says. So what he says to the guy who got put back in his position of power, he says, could you just do me one favor? Could you remember me when you get back there with the king? Well, what does he do? He forgets him. He forgets Joseph down in that prison for two years, and then Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream, and it just spooks him. He knows it means something important. So he's telling everybody about this dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. And then finally, the guy says, hey, you know, I'm remiss. I'm sorry. I just remembered. There's a guy in the jail. I had a dream. He interpreted it. It happened just as he said. You should call for him. So get Joseph all cleaned up. They bring him up before Pharaoh, and they say, hey, can you interpret dreams? He says, no, I can't. I can't interpret dreams, but God can. So what's your dream? And he'll give you the answer. So he gives a dream. He interprets it. Everything comes. The Pharaoh is completely awestruck with the guy. He's like, man, this is awesome. And he takes Joseph from the prison, okay, to number two man in Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of it. It's like the ultimate rags to riches story. And so here he is. So he begins to govern. He does it very, very well. A famine hits seven years later, and who comes looking for food seven years later? His brothers. Now they come, and who do they meet? They meet Joseph. Now he can, can he get, oh man, he can burn them some kind of bad now. Will he do it? And he decides, puts them through a little test of things, but eventually he makes himself known, and his whole family comes down. Now, there's his life in a very short nutshell, very quickly. Let's go through this, just a few nuts and bolts ideas of how we can narrow down the dream. And the first one is this. When you're thinking about your dream, ask yourself a couple different questions. Does it fit God's word? Does it fit God's word? See, it has to be in alignment with God's word to be a part of God's plan and God's dream for your life. Does it fit God's word? Is it in alignment? This is critically important, and this will really narrow it down big time. Romans 8.31 says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. So for God to be for us means that the dream, the area, the way we're heading our life is in alignment with God's word. Robin Hood, okay? Do you see that they're remaking Robin Hood again? So how many people we had played the leading role in Robin Hood? Was it like Errol Flynn and Kevin Costner and who else, right? So Russell Crowe now is, I mean, can we just put this guy, can we kill the remakes of Robin Hood? It's just over and over and over again. Robin Hood, is, it's a, that's noble, I'm going to steal from one group of people to give it to another group of people. Very noble because these group of people, over here, they really need it. But stealing, right? It's kind of not cool with God and his word, right? And so it says, thou shalt, you know, not steal. So immediately, if your dream is to be Robin Hood, then you go to God's word and say, ah, wait a minute, I have a clue. <laughs> There's something in my dream that's out of alignment with God's word. Joseph. Joseph had a dream. Now, Here's the thing. When you feel something in your life, you have a passion, I want to do it. You've got to analyze it. Is everything that I'm thinking and understanding about this dream, is it in alignment with God's word? So he has this dream that he's going to be like in this position of power. So is he thinking, it's like, you know what? I want to be powerful. I want people to bow down to me. Ah, the good, good clue, his dream is completely wrong. Because that would be out of alignment with the word of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? It has to line up. The, the, the drive behind your dream, the elements behind your dream, has to line up with the Word of God. It is critically important. It has to line up nicely and easily. Here's a good way to look at this. Reverse that verse in Scripture. If God is for us, who can be against us? How about this? If God is against us, who can be for us? 
Is that a better way to put it? If God is against us, and if there's something about your dream and your passion, the way you're heading in your life and the way you're going about it, if it is against God's word, then you have stepped into that verse. If God is against you, if God is against me, then who in the world can be for me? has to line up. Here's the second thing. Ask yourself this question. Does it fit God's gifts? Does it fit God's word? Does it fit God's gifts? And what I mean by that is your spiritual gifts. Does it fit with your spiritual gifts? This is really important. Joseph had a dream that he was going to be a, a leader, an administrator. He was going to administrate. Did that match his gifts? Yes, it matched his gifts. This is really important. This will really narrow down your understanding of what God wants to do in your life. Does it fit your gifts? Everywhere Joseph went, his administration, his leadership, he always kind of rose to these leadership positions because he was gifted to do that. We spend far too much time dreaming about something that is completely outside of our gift mix. How many of us know somebody who comes along and says, you know what, man, I really want to do this. I really want to look at it and say, you know, we don't want to say it. Some of us are really blunt and honest and we'll just say it. Hey, man, <laughs> you're crazy. You have no gift for that whatsoever. But most of us, most of us, most of the time, we won't tell the person, right? You know, they want to do X, Y, and Z. They want to be this. It's like American Idol. Does anybody watch American? I don't watch American Idol, but... Every now and then, my family, we, three people raised their hand. I don't know who's watching American Idol. Somebody's watching American Idol because it's a very popular show. But you got these people up there. They, I mean, I know nothing about saying They're terrible. They're terrible. Well, I'm going to be the next American Are you crazy? Does anybody love you in your life? Does somebody? Because if somebody loved you, they'd come along and say, you're the worst stinking singer I've ever heard in my life. What's wrong with you? That's the way it is with our gifts. Our gifts. We must know what our gifts are. Here's what Romans 12 says about this. There are a couple of different lists of gifts in the Bible, of spiritual gifts. All right? But here's, this is a pretty good one here. We have different gifts. Yes, we do. According to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, that's Joseph. And if it is Joseph's leadership gift, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There is a list of gifts right there. Are you clear about what your spiritual gift is? This is critically important. God has a plan for every single one of us in this room. Do not mistake it. You must know your gift in order to get on board with that plan, to dream again. You must know what that gift is. Okay? We have to zero in on those things. Now, there's a couple other things that come into play here with the gifting. You have to take a look at your personality. You have to take a look at your capacity within that gift. You have to look at your emotional makeup. There are other things that narrow it down. I want to get it. Like, like if you're a person who like really freaks out under pressure, right, then you don't want to use your gift as an air traffic controller or something like that. So there's other things you have to look at. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm really simplifying it here, all right? So because of time, right? All right. But you want to zero in on your gift. You've got to know it. So here, i got a couple of questions for you. Question number one, what is it? It's not on your list. I don't have that question list. This is just to you, just me and you. What is it? Are you here this morning, and you can say without a shout, hey, John, I know exactly what my gift is. And you're actually right about the gift, too. That's inherent with the question. But you know, you have total clarity. I am gifted at X. I'm and what exactly makes it spiritual? I want to talk about that in a second. But are you clear? Are you crystal clear about what, what I find is? And for most of my life, I, I was clueless. And what I find is most people I know, most people I talk to, don't know what their gift is. This is critical, everybody. 
In order to live that dream, the dream that God has put in our hearts, we must know exactly what that top gift is in our gift mix. We have to know this. Now, let me give you some ideas of what you could do. Again, this is going to be very simple, but there's, there's a path that you can follow to figure that out. First of all, they have these things called spiritual gifts tests. And what we do is everybody goes to a next step. And let me just roll this out. If you haven't been through a next step, or maybe you have been through a next step, but you've, you're still not clear on your gift, come back to us again. It's not a one-time shot. It's not like you're going to take the test. We're going to sit down to you and, whoo, hallelujah, you know what it is. All right, for a lot of us, it takes a while to figure that out. It took me a long time, long time, years, okay? But it's a process, and you just move forward with it, all right? You take a gift test. Everybody who's been through that, if you want a next step, Email us at the church office, rip off that connect card Derek talked about, say next step, put your name, some kind of contact. We will sit down, we'll go over the gifts test with you. But it's very important that you take a gifts test because that's a great first step. Here's something else I want to encourage you to do. In addition to the gifts, could you, and it's also, it's important to take multiple gifts tests over a long period of time to narrow things down. But let me give you something else to do. We're doing this amongst the church staff right now. It's actually turned out to be fascinating. Because we want to get really clear on, God, what role do you want each one of us staff members here at Grace Community Church to play? So here's what I did. I emailed the whole staff, or I talked to the whole staff, and I emailed the church board. And I said, I need you to anonymously, this helps, so you don't feel pressure to, you know, say something. So anonymously, I, I need the staff and the board to all give me what you think the top gift, the top one and two gifts are of every single staff member. So I'm collecting all this feedback from people who know all, everybody on the staff, including me, very well, and they're saying, I, I think it's this. I think your number one is this, your number two is this. And then I just go through and I tally it up, and all this stuff is rising to the top. Do you know enough people, right, who will be honest enough with you? Maybe you need to tell them to do it anonymously somehow, okay? A whole group of people say, I need you to tell me what you think my top gifts are. Maximum of two. Don't go past two. People want to like write, write all the ten. I had one person give me. I said, no, I don't want that. Give me top two. That's all I need. If you can't boil down to top two, then we all got a problem. All right. So boil it down to the top two. But you have to do that. That is very, very important. So let me come back to this thing again. What makes it spiritual? Here's where it becomes spiritual. God has gifted every single person that walks the face of this earth. So people say to me, well, what makes it a spiritual gift? Why can't it just be a gift? Here's what makes it spiritual. Okay, so the first thing is, what is it? That's number one. The second thing is, once you figured out what it is, here's where it becomes spiritual. Number two is this. You acknowledge God for it. You say, God, I'm acknowledging this gift. God, you have given me the gift for X. Thank you for it. I thank you for it, and I want to dedicate it to you. You've given me this gift. Now I want to say, God, you use it for your goodwill and your good pleasure. That's step number two. Step number three is you ask God to anoint it. What does it mean to anoint? In the Old Testament, they'd take oil and they'd say they were anointing this thing. And the oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So what are you doing when you do that? You're just saying, God, I want you to get all over this thing. Get all, I want you to, as the scripture says, I want you to do way beyond whatever I could ever, ever even think of doing in my own power and strength. I want it to be so clear to me, I want it to be so clear to me that it's you doing all this. That's step number three. I want you just to anoint it and empower it and do beyond what I could ever ask or I could even think. And the last thing, step number four, is focus on it. You learn as much as you can. If you have the gift for leadership, you start reading leadership books and you get around leaders and you tune that thing as much as you can for the glory of God. Whether you, whether you work 
for the government in the United States or you work for private industry or whatever you do or you work for a nonprofit, you take that leadership gift and you learn about it and learn about it and you spend 75% of your energy and time. Life is all about energy. Here's where I've gone wrong so often is instead of focusing on my gifts, I would just spread myself out and spread myself in and do everything. So rather staying on my gift and focusing on my gift, I would do other stuff. You can't do that. That is not the way to live life. If you want to live the dream in God's plan, you've got to figure out your gift, dedicate to God, ask God to anoint and empower it, and then spend most of your life focused on that gift in order for this dream, this plan to fully blossom. It's important that you know your gifts. All right, uh, let's move on. Does it fit God's heart? This dream, this plan that's inside, does it fit the heart of God? What is the heart of God? Philippians 2, verses 4 and 5. Each of you should not only look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Here's the question you ask about your dream, the plan. Does it meet a need? Does it meet a need? This dream, this plan, this thing that I'm thinking about, does it meet a need? I mean, Joseph, originally when he was had this dream and everybody's mom, dad, brothers all bowing down to him, was that the dream? Was the dream to get people to bow down to him? Or was the dream to save millions and millions of people from starvation when the famine hit? That was the dream. Now, that's an awesome dream. It met a very real need. Your dream, does it meet a, really, a, a very real need? Ask yourself this. If there's any kind of dream in, in your heart as you're considering this, who does it bless more, you or others? Does my dream bless me more or bless others more? That's the question. You, because it has to fit the heart of God, and the heart of God is to meet a need and to bless other people, not be solely consumed within ourselves. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about what you need to watch out for as you pursue, because there's things you definitely need to watch out for as you go down that path pursuing the dream of God, God's plan for you. Jesus said numerous times, I think actually eight different times in the Gospels, he said, watch out. Those two words, watch out. Watch out. So we need to watch out for stuff. Here's the first thing that we need to watch out for. We need to watch out for the devil. And he's not some little crazy guy running around with the pitchfork and the long tail that, you know, the cartoons are made of. But the Bible is pretty doggone clear. There is an evil force at work in this world, and it calls that evil force the devil. The devil and the devil's work. I mean, I think we can clearly see from the life of Joseph that, you know, when he ended up in that pit, there was probably some evil influence that got him thrown in that pit. There was probably some evil influence that said, you know what, sell him as a slave. There's probably some evil influence when Potiphar's wife comes after him. There's probably some evil influence when he gets thrown down into the jail. And you know what? All of a sudden when success started happening, do you think all the evil influence is gone? No. Pride probably came after Joseph big time. Revenge probably came after Joseph big time. When his brothers showed up, I don't know about, I mean, you know, they don't give a whole lot of insight, a lot of insight in the story to what he's thinking in his emotional makeup. But I'm thinking, man, if I'm Joseph and I see my brothers after I was screaming in that pit as a little kid and they wouldn't rescue me and they're up there eating, you know, bonbons or whatever they were doing, having their meal, and I'm down there screaming for my life and I see them and now I'm the second most powerful person on the face of the planet, what do you think I'm doing? Oh, you doggone right. I'm just going to, I'm going to light them up big time. So, all right, so the devil comes along. He's going to do that. He's going to play with us. So when you're in a position, you know, what, what would you do? So um, you have to watch out. Ephesians six twelve says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness. Watch out for the devil. Here's the second thing you got to watch out for. 
Watch out for your family and friends. Okay? Now, if you're sitting next to a family member, please don't start shaking your head up and down here or a good friend. Don't just hold your head really still. I want to say our family and friends are wonderful, beautiful. I'm not, I'm not broad brushing. Some of our family and friends are very encouraging and very supportive. I want to focus on the ones that aren't encouraging and aren't supportive, and they're there. They're there. Now, do I need to mention Joseph's brothers? That was his family. I mean, with brothers like that, do you actually need enemies? I mean, these guys, let's kill the dreamer. You know, just, you know, I mean, it's terrible. But you have to watch out for your family and friends. Now, listen, sometimes our friends and our families are are sources of tremendous strength and encouragement as we pursue our dreams, aren't they? And they just build us up. And sometimes they're a tremendous source of discouragement as we pursue our dreams. Now, some of them try to discourage us because they want to protect us. Our friends and family want to protect us. You know, oh, don't, don't do that. Don't try that. Don't go that direction. You might get hurt. Now, the words might not come out of the mouth, but that's what's inside of them. They, they want to protect you. And others, others will try to hold you back and discourage you from it because they don't want you to succeed. Some of our family and friends, when we're on our path of pursuing our dreams, they're out of step totally with God's will. I think of different important points in my life if I have, as I have pursued the path that God has put me on that I've had different family members and different friends come across in the middle of that path and be incredibly discouraging to me to say the exact opposite of the God's will for my life. And these are like trusted family and friends. And I can't, I, that would so confuse me. Why is this happening? What's going on? You just have to watch out for this. Listen, I read this great quote by G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton. I just want to read it to you. It's, it was really awesome. This is what he says. Quote, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also our enemies. i say that again. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> I just thought that was that was pretty good. So, has anybody here has ever been crabbing before? You know, the, the, the crabs go down in the water and get the crabs. Here's what happens in a crab basket, just in case, you know, you're not an expert at, at uh, crabbing. Let me tell you, because you'd be fascinated. Uh, so, you know, you put the little bait inside the crab basket, and the crab crawls in and gets it. And before you know it, two, three, four, five, six others, maybe if you're having a great day, ten of them just jump on in there, and they eat all the bait up, and then it's gone. Now, now what happens? Now that it's gone. Well, one of the crabs says, I'm going to leave. I'm done. There's nothing else here to eat. I'm taking off. Now, what happens when he tries to leave? The others in the basket say, you're not going anywhere. Come back in here. Though there's no food left, get back in here. And if he doesn't take the hint from that, they will physically, with violence, pull him back inside that basket and will not let him go. And if he doesn't take the hint at that, they will rip one of his claws right off. And if it comes to it, they will kill him because they don't want him to leave. That is, I didn't know crabs were so mean creatures. Anyway, except when they pinch your toes when you're in the ocean. But uh, here's what happens sometimes. When we're on our path pursuing our dreams, sometimes our friends and our family come around us. And we have to be very wise and discerning on this. Are they protecting me? Are they speaking truth to me? Because you can't just, if you're pursuing some kind of wild, stupid dream or whatever, and a family member comes along and tries to speak wisdom to you, and you can say, oh, John said you're the devil. You know, you know what I'm saying? All right, so some wisdom, 
little wisdom there, but just watch out because not only will they be in line. All right, now um, here's the biggest thing. Watch out for yourself. Watch out for you. And I mean in, in, a, in a cautious way because though the devil is our enemy and our family and our friends can sometimes be enemies to us, our biggest enemy that we will ever face is ourself. I thought it was really interesting when Sir Edmund H Hillary you know, climbed the top of Mount Everest and he came back down and all the reporters are saying, man, how did you do it? How does it feel to conquer the mountain? He finally says to them, he says, we did not conquer the mountain. We conquered ourselves. We conquered ourselves. When you're pursuing your dream, the number one person you're going to have to conquer is yourself. We're going to have to conquer, I'm going to have to conquer my own pride, right? My own attitude at times. Sometimes I want to be really discouraged and down and I'm just all happy in my discouragement. I have to conquer that in myself. I have to conquer my bad decisions, my bad habits, sometimes of addictions that come along the way, right? Bad company that I allow myself to be around people that aren't the best for me to run. I got to conquer all that. Sometimes I conquer my own laziness. But when we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, our biggest enemy is going to be us. We have seen the enemy. It's us. So we have to be careful of all this. All right. Let me give you four things to do. I know I'm peppering you quick, but you got all the fill-ins that follow that. So here, just four things that you need to be looking to do as you're pursuing the dream. And I'm almost done. You have to look to serve. You have to look to serve. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute you have to look to serve. But you've got to look to serve. Philippians 2.7 says, Jesus Christ took on the very nature of a servant. Now, I'm not sure that Joseph was much of a servant when he was wearing that long white robe. And that long right, white robe symbolized that he doesn't work and his brothers do. And I don't, but he, he learned to serve really quickly, didn't he? When he got thrown into Potiphar's house as a slave and then thrown in jail, he learned. So if he was lacking that servant's heart, like God took care of that really quick, right? Wouldn't you agree? So uh, we have to learn to be servants. We have to learn to, do you have a servant's heart? You need to have a servant's heart. All of us must have a heart to serve others. I find people generally who have a servant's heart have really good manners. And I don't mean with their speech. I don't mean they flatter you with their words. But I mean that they're always, how can I help? What can I do? I'm, those are the kind of people with servants. I can identify a servant immediately. Anytime we're doing some kind of function, it's the person who comes along with just a great attitude. Just, what do you need me to do? I'm here for you. That's the person with servants heart. Right? It's really important to look to serve. Second thing is this. You have to look to be courageous. Joseph, it took tremendous courage for him to get up every morning and keep trusting in God and keep moving forward. I mean, the guy, he becomes a slave, and I mean, only courage would have taken him from being a slave, being the low man on the totem pole in Potiphar's house, to being the top man. Only, only courage would take him in that jail from, like, man, he's been done wrong. Potiphar's wife just did him wrong, terrible, and it's bad enough he's a slave, but now it's the frying pan to the fire, and now he's in jail. Only courage is going to take him back to the top. Now he's in charge of the jail. He's in charge of all the other prisoners in the jail. Courage over, it is a prominent biblical thing. Be strong and courageous. Pursuing your dream, pursuing that plan that God has for your life might be the biggest challenge that you will ever do in life. It'll take a lot of courage. Look to be loyal. Look to be loyal. Now, I already mentioned a few minutes ago, but this is critically important. Somebody who is loyal is somebody who is faithful. And so, listen, everybody, when Potiphar's wife comes after Joseph, it is so telling what he says back. And you know she was hot. All right? You know she was hot. And she's coming after him. 
every day, every day working on him. And he says, I can't do this to your husband. He has treated me right. I will not do this to him, and I will not do it. Now, that's some serious loyalty. That is some serious loyalty. We need to be people who have loyal hearts. And lastly, look to be honest. Have an honest heart. Integrity. Character. When Joseph gets called out of that prison, up to the palace with Pharaoh, what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh says, okay, I heard you can interpret dreams. I'm going to give you my dream, you interpret it. And Joseph says what? And he could have said all kinds of stuff back. He, says, he could have said, yes, yes, I can. Lay it on me. We're going to interpret it. But he says back to Pharaoh, he says, you know what? I can't do it, but God can. Man, what a streak of honesty. At that very moment, he's standing before Pharaoh. Maybe this is the guy. If I interpret his dream, maybe I can manipulate some way that he'll finally get me out of this jail. Right? He's totally honest. Proverbs 6.16 says this. And in case it's vague, we'll try to clear it up. But it simply says this. The Lord hates lies. Now, if that seems a little vague and we can't understand exactly how God feels about that, we have the Ten Commandments to fall back on where God says, Thou shalt not lie. We need to be people of character and people of integrity. If you can stick with these four, here's why you're doing it. If you can work on these four, a servant's heart, a courageous heart, a loyal heart, and an honest heart, Here's the last thing you need to look for. You need to look for God. Why? Why do you need to look for God? Because God is drawn, everybody. Listen, listen. God is drawn to people who have loyal hearts, courageous hearts, honest hearts, and service. That's the kind of people that God is drawn to. He's drawn to those kind of people. You can't mistake as you go throughout the Bible. Why is God drawn to Joseph? Why is, why is God drawn to David? Why is God drawn to Ruth or Mary or Moses? It is clear that in the Bible, God is drawn to some people more than others. Why? Because over and over again, you see it, a servant's heart, a courageous heart, a loyal heart, an honest heart. These are the kind of people God is drawn to. Now, listen, when Michael Jordan was back in his heyday and he was winning all those championships, he hit some incredible shot. I can't remember which game it was against. He hit some incredible shot to win some game. And you know what one sport, sport reporter wrote about him? He said, it's like having God on your team. If you want God to be a part of your team, loyal heart, honest heart, courageous heart, servant's heart, that's how God joins your team. He joins up when you are, when you are a part of those things. All right, now let me wrap up. Here's the deal. What can you do today? That's your last fill in the blank. What can you do today? Right now, today, what can you do? This dream that's inside of you, this plan, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Here's my question. Do you know the plans God has for you? That's great. You know the plan that you have me. Fine. Would you, would you mind sharing that with me? I mean, could we get some communication going back and forth here? Because maybe you have a plan and you know what it is, but I have no clue what it is. How are you going to know it? Do you know what the plan is that God has for you? What step, what decision can you make today that will move you toward it? What decision today, not tomorrow, not next week, right now today, that will put you a step closer towards God's plan for your life? Do you know what your gifts are? Do you need to take a spiritual gifts test? Do you need to do that whole gifting thing where you take the test and you talk to family and friends, that you figure that out, that you hone it? Is that something? Do you need to come over here and say, you know what, this plan that I'm on, this thing I'm thinking about, does it line up with the heart of God? Do you need to do that? Do you need to seriously analyze that right now today? Do you need to come over here and say, you know what, is it lined up with the Word of God? Is it really, really, really in line with the Word of God? Does that line up? You have to ask yourself those questions, the direction that you're headed. What do you need to watch out for? 
you need to watch out for yourself right now? I mean, are you your biggest enemy to God's plan for your life is something else? A few moments ago, we talked about, just seconds ago, I talked about God being a part of your team. How about this? Have you joined God's team? The book, book of Hebrews says that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we become a part of the family of God. Now, I can't think of a better way to us understanding and hearing from God that knowledge of what his plan is for our life, what that dream is for our life, than being a part of God's family. Like being in that circle of his family all the time to hear it. Have you ever said, hey, Jesus, I want to join your team? No, come into my life. I want to be a part of your family. What decision do you need to make today? Now, I'm going to pray, and the music is going to play, and everybody's going to be free to go, but the prayer team's going to be up here. If you want to come up and pray with them, or you want to go in our prayer room over here, what decision do you need to make today? Maybe some of us just need to stop and pray about it. You know, often in my life, I'll, be, I'll have some kind of problem, some kind of question that I might have, and I'll just go on and on, and I'll never once say, oh, God, could you clarify this point for me? About Maybe some of us just simply need to stop and say, God, I need to talk to you about this today. What do you need to do right now, today, before you leave this building? What decision do you need to make that will put you closer to God's plan for your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, whew, we have done um, a lot in a short amount of time. And I'm just hoping that you're going to straighten out all that mess. But Father, every single person in this room, it is so clear from your word that you have a plan for every person's life something that we can be excited about, something that puts a spring to our step and wakes us up in the morning with a smile on our face, that we are on path with your plan. And Father, for every person here, whatever step they need to make today, what that one step is today, I pray that every single one of us would make it so we could step closer to what you want to do in and through our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, please. In your holy name, amen.